ever wonder what the Bible has to say about some of the biggest issues we face today? How do you sort through things like our political climate, social issues, and what it means to live out your faith in a dynamically changing world? How do you view these topics through Jesus' vantage point? 312 is back with our new series, Vantage Points. Join us as we discuss what the Bible has to say about some of the most pressing issues we face in our culture today. We'll also continue building a community of believers with fun events that you will not want to miss. 312, knowing God and making God known in Chicago and to the ends of the earth. Well, good evening, 312. It's good to be here. Um, if we haven't met, my name is John, and I'm on the 312 team, specifically the discipleship one that puts on nights like these. And just a quick note about that. Uh, it's an all-volunteer team, so we don't work for the church. We're not elders or deacons. Uh, we're just ordinary people like you, ordinary jobs, just passionate about knowing Jesus and making him known throughout our city. I want to kick off tonight's topic by taking a little detour, uh, if you'll entertain that, and talking about a side topic. And that side topic uh, is something called spiritual warfare. Have you heard this term, spiritual warfare, before? You know, when I first became a Christian and I heard this term, I thought it was like about like literal warfare, like bows and arrows and explosions and gunfire between heaven and hell and this big epic cosmic battle, like kind of a scene out of Call of Duty or something. And uh, maybe there's some truth to some of that, right? But when I think spiritual warfare plays out in our everyday lives, I think it's a lot more subtle than that. And what do I mean? See, I think that there is an enemy that is using everyday things even things that might have been created for our own good, and he's twisting them. He's twisting them um, to divide us and to drag us down and cause us to sin. See, uh, there's a little bit of a backstory here, and this comes from different parts of the Bible, uh, primarily Isaiah and Revelation. But essentially, there's this angel named Lucifer, and Lucifer, he's an angel that's in good standing with God until one day he says, God, uh, in his pride, he's like, God, I want to be worshipped like you and I want to be treated as your equal now. And I want to be worshipped and bowed down to. And so um, in his pride, he's kicked out of heaven by God. And God essentially tells him like, look, uh, you can have some free reign over the earth and let's just see who humanity worships, you or me. This is even acknowledged by Jesus when Jesus calls Satan the prince of this world. We can see an example of this play out in the book of Job, where Satan tests uh, Job in various ways, but ultimately Job is able to remain faithful. But, you know, just like Job, um, Satan has kind of had uh, just the same goal and the same tactics um, ever since that event. One overarching goal for you and for me and the rest of humanity. He's just very simple. And what is that goal? It is to get you to not follow God. Very easy. Very simple for you to not follow God. Okay? 
and he's using things to divide and conquer the church and drag people down with him one by one because he knows his time here on earth is short. He knows Jesus is coming back to destroy him for good one day. So he's just hustling, making that happen as fast as he can. And, you know, this part isn't in the Bible. This is just a personal uh, conviction of mine. But do you want to know what I think is the number one way in 2022 in which Satan is using to divide and conquer the church? I'll give you a hint. It's not the Bears and Packers. (laughs) Well, here's where this is all going tonight. I think he's using our politics and all the polarization that's surrounding the upcoming election um, against us. And it's dividing the church in ways we haven't seen before. You know, I I was listening to this podcast recently, and if you know me, I like podcasts. This happened to be a secular podcast, but it was talking about just all the problems with polarization in our country. Um, and they were citing a bunch of interesting statistics, right? They, they were analyzing the decline um, in democracies and nations. And there was an interesting correlation with heavy social media usage in those countries, particularly uh, Facebook. Uh, big surprise there. And they were citing statistics like they conducted a poll and they asked Republicans and Democrats, hey, what percentage of uh, each of you think that the other party is an existential threat to America. And and like in the early 90s, it was something like 20% Republicans, 17% Democrats. Now in 2022, that number is over half. So 62% Republican, 54% of Democrats think the other group is an existential threat to America. But you didn't need me to cite statistics just to know how bad this problem is getting, right? I mean, were you at Thanksgiving dinner last year with a very outspoken aunt or uncle? Or maybe you're on the comment section in social media. Some of the best of humanity is in those comment sections, aren't they? Or here, how about this? What if we put discussion questions on each of your tables and we ask things like, hey, uh, was Donald Trump a good or bad president? Were the vaccine mandates, were those a good idea or a bad idea? The Chicago Teachers Union has too much power. Agree or disagree? I bet, and guys, I would bet money on this, that it would probably take five to ten minutes tops uh, to get some of you in the room to hate one another. Like, that's just the state we're in. And it's not so much the opinions that I care about here tonight. It's how we respond to differences in opinion as Christians that that's what I care about and that's what needs to be addressed. Did you know that Jesus actually prays about this? He prays for our unity. In John chapter 17, verses 20 through 23, Jesus has this prayer, and it it goes like this. So he prays, I do not ask for these only, he's talking about his disciples, but also for those who believe in me through their word, and that would be us, that they may all be one, just as you, Father, are in me and I in you that they may also be in us so that the world may believe that you have sent me. The glory that you have given me, I have given to them that they may be one even as we are one. I in them and you in me, that they may become perfectly one so that the world may know that you have sent me 
and love them even as you love me. Think about this prayer, guys. This is really significant because this is in the Garden of Gethsemane. This is Jesus's final quiet time with God on the night before his execution. And you can imagine, if this was the night before your execution, like probably a thousand things are going through your head. You could be praying for any number of things. You could be praying for more followers. You could be praying for peace on earth. You could be praying for an overthrow of the Roman government. But no, what does he pray for instead? He prays for our unity. And not just for our own good, but so that we can reflect the love that the Father has through us to a world that's in desperate need of it. Well, if this is Jesus's prayer, and if this is the Father's will for us, then why is it so hard? Why is it so challenging to remain united when Jesus is praise, praise this? Why? Well, we could spend all evening like debugging all of the psychology and why that is, but um, in our limited time here tonight, what I think we would be better served with is three tools from the Bible to help us combat this polarization now that we're a month away from the midterms. And I've broken it down into three points. And those three points are, number one, uh, we need a new perspective. Number two, we need to reroute our identities. That's step two. And three, we need to respond out in the right way. So new perspective, rerouting our identities and responding out in the right way. So with that in mind, let us pray. Um, Father, um, we know apart from your Holy Spirit being here tonight that unless he's here instructing us, that this is just a huge waste of time. And so uh, we know you're here and we know you're present and we just invite your Holy Spirit to challenge us and convict us. We just ask that he gives, that he gives us um, a spirit of gentleness and patience with one another because God, I, I mean, you know this, our church just struggles massively with this. It's just a very emotionally charged topic. Um, something that's just divided families and best friends and small groups and churches and pastors from congregations and defend us against the enemy's will uh, for us tonight. Uh, be with us uh, as we open your word um, and just guide our conversations. We love you, Lord. We need you of every minute. Amen. So our first point is getting the right perspective and we're going to turn to Psalm 118, Psalm 118, for our first reading here tonight. Um, Park just did a series over the summer about the book of Psalms. But in case you're not familiar, uh, the book of Psalms is just this collection of Hebrew poetry. It's written by all different authors, uh, most of them written by King David. And they could be about any number of things, right? They could be um, just praise, or they can be uh, prayers for help or pleas for mercy, or repentance, any number of things. This particular psalm was written by an anonymous Israelite. So we don't know who wrote this. But um, with that in mind, let's just turn to the psalm, Psalm 118. I'll just read the first 13 verses. It goes like this. Um, oh, give thanks to the Lord, 
For he is good, for his steadfast love endures forever. Let Israel say his steadfast love endures forever. Let the house of Aaron say his steadfast love endures forever. Let those who fear the Lord say his steadfast love endures forever. Out of my distress, I called on the Lord. The Lord set me free and answered me. The Lord is on my side. I will not fear what can man do to me. The Lord is on my side as my helper. I shall look in triumph on those who hate me. It is better to take refuge in the Lord than to trust in man. It is better to take refuge in the Lord than to trust in princes. All the nations surrounded me, but in the name of the Lord, I cut them off. They surrounded me, surrounded me on every side. In the name of the Lord, I cut them off. They surrounded me like bees. They went out like a fire among thorns. In the name of the Lord, I cut them off. I pushed hard so that I was falling, but the Lord helped me. And we'll end there. Okay, context here. We Again, we don't know who wrote this, but um, is it fair to say, just as like a general statement, that if you're a Jewish person living in this time, like you have seen a lot, like is that a fair statement to say, like your people being enslaved in Egypt, you're chased out, you spend 40 years in the wilderness, and then you're surrounded by all these different enemies throughout history, the Babylonians, the Persians, the Ammonites, the Romans, conquering you, fighting you. Okay, so you've seen a lot. Nonetheless, um, just pay attention um, to this uh, person's attitude. So his steadfast love endures forever. That's repeated four times. And what do we know about Hebrew literature when something is repeated is that it's there for emphasis. So his steadfast love endures forever. There is a confidence um, in God's eternity, okay? He's existed before time was created and he will exist throughout all of eternity, which is very hard for our minds to uh, wrap around, but it's true. And not only that, is that he loves us, he cares for us, and he has our best interests at heart, right? Which is also hard to believe at some times, which is true. So he has our best interests in mind. And then further, there is a confidence in the Lord's justice. Look throughout these verses, starting at verse 5. Out of my distress, I called on the Lord. The Lord answered me and set me free. The Lord is on my side. I will not fear. What can man do to me? They then say, I shall look in triumph on those who hate me. Enemies and nations surrounded me, but in the name of the Lord, I cut them off. There's a confidence in the Lord's justice. Okay? Meaning that if the evildoers and the people that treat us poorly... And just these people that get away with terrible, horrible crimes, even if they get away with it and they don't face consequences here on earth and they just have awesome lives and they die rich and happy, that there is no escaping God's eternal justice. They're not getting away with it. Nobody is. At the end of this life, everybody is going to have to answer for what they did. Okay? Nobody is getting away with it. So this person isn't, like, like it's not like they're stressing out in expecting justice here on earth, even though I'm sure they're disappointed when that doesn't come, but they're confident that these enemies will be cut off from them, if not in this life and eternity. 
Finally, there's a confidence and an understanding in the Lord's sovereignty. Uh, Look with me at verses 8 and 9. It is better to take refuge in the Lord than to trust in man. It is better to take refuge in the Lord than to trust in princes. So, like Christians today, there's probably an understanding that these governments and these princes are set up by God um, to promote justice and peace, but that's not ultimately where this person's hope and trust is, okay? There's an acknowledgement that these human institutions are going to fail fail us and even oppress us at points. Where is this person's ultimate hope? It's in the Lord's, not man's, not prince's. In, in conclusion, what can we say about this person? This person has a very high view of God. You know, Jackson Crumb um, who used to pastor here, he had this chart that he would show in some sermons that I would really love. And it's a very simple chart. It shows a very simple inverse relationship. So on one hand, right, if you can just imagine a line, um, as your view of God increases over time, your view of the world and its problems decrease, right? So as your view of God increases, your view of the world and its problems decrease. It's a very simple inverse relationship. Okay, very simple. So let's just play the opposite game here for a second and say that you have a very small view of God. What happens? Well, if you have a small view of God, you're going to start to doubt God's eternity. And you're going to start to doubt his sovereignty over situations. And you're going to start to doubt that he loves us. Okay, you're going to start to think that God isn't as powerful as he says he is, or he's not as sovereign, or maybe you think those things, but maybe you just think that he's apathetic and cruel and that he just doesn't love us. So you start to doubt these things, right? And you start to um, doubt and distrust God. Well, what do we know about idols? Is that if your heart is empty from God, it's not going to remain empty for long. It's going to look to attach itself to something. And so what is that something? Is it the U.S. government? Is it these politicians that promise things that they can never keep? Is it business leaders? Is it Elon Musk or Bezos? Like, who is it? Who do you put your trust in then? And so what do we know about humanly institutions? They fail. And when they fail us, that's when the anxiety really starts to bubble in. That's when you can feel the weight of the world's problems on your shoulders. And that causes us to act out in really terrible ways. Right? I mean, think about it in the church. You see Christians act out this way in the past years? Just look at the church in 2020. You know, a lot of people, a lot of Christians will say how much they trust God and how big they think God is. You know, we have that song, How Majestic and Powerful is Your Name. And yet after Sunday, during the week, they're just lashing out, reacting on social media, They're just saying how down they feel about the world and all of this existential dread. And so it's kind of one of these things where it's like a say what you think, but do what you believe, right? And what does that reveal about those people? When they have just this obsession with our political system and and they just need to fight to win and when they lose and they don't get the result that they want, They just act so bitter and angry and depressed. I think, if I can be perfectly candid, 
that that reveals a very small view of God because it puts way too much, much trust in human hands, if I could be that honest. So we need a big view of God to have a small view of the world and the weight of its problems and all these rulers and politicians. Yeah. Some of you are going to ask, well, John, uh, you know, I know that God is sovereign and powerful and all this other stuff. and, And I know that at a head level, but I just have trouble feeling that way sometimes. I just don't feel that way. Let me ask you, um, if you're trying to feel good about your body, are you going to feed it with junk food and alcohol? Well, likewise, if you're feeling bad about the state of the world, you know, like what junk media are you feeding it? I'll be in so many Christian circles and, you know, a prayer will come up and, you know, it'll be about anxiety or like what's going on in the news and it'll be a constant thing. And so the question gets asked, well, it's like, A, have you been praying about this to God? Have you been laying these burdens on him because he cares about you? Have you been reading his promises to you in scripture? And of course the answer is like, no. No, got too busy. Work was just too busy this week. I meant to get around to it. I'm going I'm to try and do more of that next week, but work is just so busy. Got to do work. Well, then it's like, okay, but have you spent time in like any Christian community, like regularly talking about this with other trusted believers? Have you been listening to Christian podcasts? Have you been listening to worship music? Anything of the things of God to develop your relationship with Jesus? No, I haven't done that either. I just got busy again. Work was just so busy this week. It's always the excuse, right? Work. Guys, it's going to be impossible to feel close to Jesus and feel at ease if you don't spend any time with them. Plain and simple, right? You know, I had a guy in my former small group who had a really severe pornography addiction. And you want to know what he would do when he would feel like the urge to like look up things on his phone? You don't want to know what he would do. I found this so wise. He would physically separate his phone um, in another room in a drawer away from him and like close the door, physical distance from the device. And I thought that was so wise. And so the question is, you know, if you're battling similar struggles, it's like, hey, what news sources and partisan commentators do you need to cut off and unsubscribe to? What newsletters and and TV and media outlets do you need to cut out from your life? What social media apps do you need to cut out? I mean, you know, we'll act like reading 15 minutes of scripture is a chore, but be happy to spend like three hours on TikTok. And then we wonder why we're so anxious, right? So there's a lot of things you can do to fill your free time with the things of God to get a bigger perspective of him, right? I mean, I know so many people at the during the pandemic that cut off their social media time And they said it worked wonders for their mental health. So just a few practical suggestions there. But, you know, that's how we need to increase our view of God to decrease the weight of the world and its problems. Yeah.
Step two, we need to reroute our identities. Step two. So we're going to fast forward to uh, the New Testament and the book of Galatians. Um, Galatians chapter three, verses 28. Uh, And this is a very famous verse, but I'll read it anyway. It goes, there is neither Jew nor Gentile, neither slave nor free, nor is there, there male or female, for you are all one in Christ Jesus. You heard that verse before? Um, just some little bit of context here. So Jews and Greeks at this time, very separate cultures, separate religions, separate worldviews, separate customs, and separate ways of thinking, right? They were very different. And so what happens is that some Greeks and some Jews become Christians, Well, in the preceding chapter, Paul walks into the scene and he sees Peter. And Peter's only dining with Jewish Christians. Like he refuses, he effectively cancels these Greek Christians out of his life. And Paul asks, hey, what's up with that? And Peter says, well, you know what? It's because they refuse to get circumcised. I won't dine with them. And Paul scolds him. Paul says, hey, buddy. Uh, It's not anything that you're doing. There's no customs that give you the right to call yourself um, in Christ Jesus and and call yourself um, a Christian, right? It's nothing that you do. It's entirely what Jesus did for you on the cross that gives you that right, okay? There's just no customs that make you superior to them. And so he scolds him for it. (laughs) And... We could be looking at that story uh, in, in this era and kind of look down at Peter and scoff and feel like, uh, that's kind of weird. Like, that's the issue that Peter is hung up on it is like an issue of circumcision. Like, that's his hang up, really? It's kind of weird. But, like, what would Paul say about us if he came to the church in 2022? Like, you guys... Uh, You call yourselves Christians and you're dividing yourselves over these American political parties? Are you serious? See, friends, when we look at each other through the lens of the gospel, we see each other as brothers and sisters in Christ who on occasion might have political differences You look at each other through the lens of Democrat and Republican. Well, now we're enemies who might share the same faith. See the difference there? Do you understand how radical of a transformation in identity that is? Like, um, maybe, like, let's try this one out on you uh, just to feel this a little more. Let's say that you are a, a diehard MAGA right-wing, straight-ticket Republican, okay? You'll wear the hat, okay? You're that conservative. Just imagine that's you. And just imagine for a second that Hillary Clinton comes up to you and says, hey, I've just accepted Christ into my life. I would love to get to know about you more and know about your journey. And what's your reaction? Because at that moment, you should feel like you have more in common with her than your closest non-Christian friends. Let me repeat that one more time. The bond of Christ is so strong that you should feel like you have more in common 
with Christian political opponents rather than your closest non-Christian friends. That's the kind of power that we're talking about. So if you find yourself despising other believers in the faith because of their political beliefs or their party affiliation, it's time to cut it off. Like, what does Jesus say about sin? If your right eye is causing you to sin, pluck it out. Okay, so if your political identity is causing disunity, it's sin. I mean, let's be honest, it's sin because it's against the Father's will. And so what should you do with it? You should drop it. It is time to stop identifying yourself as a conservative or as a progressive if it's going to be a stumbling block for you. And again, it's just, it's not a problem to lean a certain way, but when we see um, each other through the lens of that primarily, that's when it becomes a problem. What does it look like, like practically speaking, to drop an identity, right? Like, how do you do that practically? Well, I, I mean, just in my life, right, there have been times I have voted Republican in elections, but I refuse to call myself a Republican or a conservative because, and this is just one example, it's because of some of the vitriolic and racist language that their candidates choose to use in the public square. I'll never forget when Trump gets up in front of an anxious and grieving nation in 2017, right after the Charlottesville alt-right rally. So it was a bunch of these alt-right or far-right groups that come to Virginia. And tragically, there was a protester there that was killed in an act of violence. And so the nation's shooken up about this. And, you know, the best thing that Trump has to say after that, you want to know what the best thing he can come up with is? Is that there were many good people on both sides. Many good people on both sides, white supremacists, Ku Klux Klan, Holocaust deniers, many good people on both sides. And so, it's all of this denialism of race issues in the Republican Party right now. It's why I refuse to call myself a conservative. And likewise, uh, I have voted Democrat in elections, but I refuse to call myself a Democrat or a progressive. And again, for instance, because a major part of their party's platform is keeping these abortion clinics open where thousands of babies go to die every day legally in this country. And if you stand up for the rights of the unborn, you're anti-woman, right? You must be anti-woman's rights if that's the case, right? No room for nuance or dialogue. That's just it. And so it's, among that reason, among others, why I refuse to call myself a Democrat. And look, we could be here all day just stacking up the hypocrisies and the ways in which these political parties fall short of the glory of God. 
And I want to stress again, that, you know, there's no issue with leaning a certain way or tending to vote a certain way. But let's not make this our primary identity. Yeah, let's see that through the lens of the gospel. So third and final point is this. We need to act out in the right way. Um, step three, we need to act out in the right way. There's lots of wisdom that from the Bible that we can include here. I mean, just infinite wisdom. We could be here all night. I had to choose like two quick examples because we're running out of time. But um, I just wanted to say this about government, Romans 13, 1. Um, Let everyone be subject to the governing authorities, for there is no authority except that which God has established. The authorities that exist have been established by God. Consequently, whoever rebels against the authority is rebelling against what God has instituted, and those who will do so bring judgment upon themselves. And there's a lot of um, there's a lot to unpack there, including you know exceptions to that rule and, and stuff like that. But guys, I, the takeaway. I want to leave you with is, you know, whether we're talking about President Trump, President Biden, uh, Governor Pritzker, Mayor Lightfoot, you know, God had a hand in getting all of those people elected in some way. And that's not super comfortable, but it's true. And we need to have some humility with that when we talk about our public officials and we pray for them, yeah? So just a note there. And then another thing, um, we're back in Galatians, so we're going to fast forward uh, two books uh, or two chapters, but this is Galatians five twenty-two verses 23. It says this, but the fruit of the Spirit is joy, or excuse me, love, joy, peace, forbearance, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, and self-control. Against such things, there is no law. Um, We've talked about the fruits of the Spirit multiple times here in 312, okay? And not only are these fruits of the Spirit characteristics that can form us into the image of Christ as we grow in our faith journey, but these are also just like playing good social skills. Like, Imagine you're in a a conversation with somebody you disagree with, okay? If you show them gentleness and kindness and and self-control in your speech and love, and you seek to understand them first, you want to know what that's going to do? That's going to be reciprocated, likely. But if you go the other direction and you show them hate, and vitriol, and you call them an idiot for thinking a certain way, and you seek to lecture them first and not listen, well, guess what? That's also very likely to be reciprocated right back at you. And so, you know, as Christians, we have tremendous control over how we diffuse situations and how we be a salt and light uh, to other people. Yeah, there's just so much control uh, in that, more than what we realize So it's a choice we have in how we respond to disagreements and tension in our political climate. Um, A guy who used to be in my small group, this is a different guy than the other guy, Um, but I love this guy. You know, he has such a big heart. Um, He's had 
lifelong struggles with identity issues. Um, particularly of that of like, he's a Asian American man in a predominantly white church. And he's just trying to navigate uh, various issues with that. Um, and so this has kind of been a stumbling block for him. Well, anyway, um, he grew up in the Bridgeport neighborhood. So born and raised. Um, he's walking down the street in Bridgeport, Chinatown area uh, one day in 2020, minding his own business. And a car rolls up to him, rolls down the window, and the driver screams, hey, go back home to China where you came from, flips him off, and then drives off. <laughs> and he's obviously really upset about this. And he goes to Facebook to write about his experience. Um, and he, I, I'm going to paraphrase this. He later goes on to write how terms like the China virus and Wuhan flu, um, he just really struggles with those because they make it sound like his community, his family was responsible for bringing the disease over. Well, he makes this post and somebody who I thought was a mature Christian feels the need to reply on his post and lecture him about how he's just being too politically correct and too sensitive and how those terms are just the accurate way to refer to the virus. <laughs> and as offensive and as completely tone deaf as that comment was, the second comment, the follow-up to that really killed me. Somebody comments, yeah, it's people like that, first commenter, of why I left Christianity. And it killed me. It killed me knowing that Christians were known for that kind of dialogue in the public sphere. You know, Romans 14.1 says that for those who are weak in the faith, welcome them, but to not quarrel over opinions. And it's very clear that this individual felt that it was more important to flex the political opinion than being a good brother and sister uh, in Christ to this, uh, to this guy. And in another act of spiritual warfare, Satan divides the church, pulls somebody away. You know, guys, I can't stress this enough. You know, you're an ambassador for Christ 24 seven. We are his image bearers. Okay. And, and people are looking at the church as a reason to follow God or as an excuse to stay away so you've got to be aware of this when in public, right? Are you going to be a salt and light and be a good image bearer? Or are you going to be divisive just like the rest of the world? What's it going to be? So we need to be careful and we need to respond out in the right way. Third and final point. So let me guess, because there's probably like a question floating around. Well, John, what are you saying here? Should I just say that, you know, I'm going to stick my head in the sand and pretend that everything is okay 
and I'm not going to vote and I'm not going to speak my mind because God's in control after all. And so I don't need to worry about anything. Ignorance is bliss. Is that the conclusion that we're trying to make here? Uh, and the answer is emphatically no. Um, just as much as, as I think obsession and idolatry is bad, taking the pendulum in the opposite direction and engaging in ignorance and apathy, I think is also unhealthy. Okay, we have a massive privilege in this country to vote. I mean, not many people in the world get that right. We take it for granted. And you know what? We can make our voices heard with our votes. We can even, if we have an issue with something, we can call our elected officials and please call them. Like, pick up the phone and call. Don't just complain about on social media. Or if even something is like really tugging at your heart, you can go out and stage a protest and you can engage with other people with it. But guys, here's the critical point, and I don't want you to miss this, is that we can fight for things here on earth, right? We can fight for things and make our voices heard, but we don't need to win in this life to win in the next, right? We don't need to obsess about you know, getting the right president in power and the right senators and the right judges in the courts, okay? We don't need to win in this life to win in the next because Jesus has already won that battle on the cross. Our victory has already been assured even though Satan might win some tiny battles here and there. Okay, so we can go in with that confidence that the rest of the world doesn't have. Man, what a big pressure release valve that is. So we don't need to worry and stress with existential dread about our politics. One final story before I wrap up. Um, There's a woman here who attended Park. And if you want to single out one person in this whole church that is just completely and totally sold out for God, it would be her. I mean, she's been here now over a decade, and uh, she served in various different capacities. Um, Deacon might have been one of those, but she's just been involved with like greeting team and, and just all sorts of different ministries. I mean, you look online or you look in person, she's just spreading as much joy and just congratulations and biblical wisdom, every chance she can get, okay? She's like, I think, in her 40s by now. Um, she's never been married, never really made more than a teacher's salary even, but she has all this joy and is serving the Lord so faithfully. Um, she even engages heavily in the Cabrini-Green neighborhood and the row homes just behind this church, And so something that she'll do is she'll act as a second spiritual mom to a lot of troubled kids when their biological moms aren't around. Man, she could tell you stories about um, these kids going to jail and sometimes tragically a lot of these kids getting killed and having to go to gang funerals. She's now overseas serving the church, but... You know, I'll see her updates over there. I'm I'm friends with her on Facebook. So I'll see like photos and things she posts. But you want to know what the funny thing is about knowing her just for so long? Funny thing about our relationship is 
I don't think I know anything about her political opinions. She's never brought it up once. And I'm sure she has them, but it's almost like this crazy, crazy, crazy idea that the bigger perspective that you have of God, the smaller view you have of the world and its problems. Friends, let's embrace that like we actually believe it. Let's go out and be salt and light um, to a city and a world that's just sick of the polarization and let's bring some joy for once, yeah? Let us pray. God, thank you for the, the conviction in this room. I pray for everybody here that we're just able to embrace our identity in Jesus. Thank you for that. Thank you, Jesus, for that sacrifice. We couldn't do it alone. We need you, Lord, of every hour and every day because you know there's spiritual attack. Um, there's an enemy that wants to divide and conquer this room and pull people away. And, and he hates that this is happening. But God, I pray that you protect us, watch over us. Um, just be, help us be a soothing presence to our small groups this week and our families and our friends and our workplaces. God, knowing that we'll be with you in just an instant, that the troubles of this life will be nothing compared to the glory um, that you will reveal to us. Our lives are just but a mist. And, and let's just have our, that perspective. Help us understand just how relatively trivial um, this life struggles is. So just be with us, Lord. We love you. Thank you for being here. In Jesus' name.